Welcome back to Spoonful of Sugar. Today's episode on Parkinson's pharmacology is hosted by Rachel Garza, a third-year medical student at Western University School of Health Sciences in California. Hope you enjoy. Hey, future doctors. Thanks for tuning in to Spoonful of Sugar, a podcast made for medical students by medical students to help the medicine go down. My name is Rachel Garza. I'm a third-year student at Western University of Health Sciences in California. I will be your host for today's episode reviewing Parkinson's pharmacology. As you know, Parkinson's disease is a debilitating condition and correct treatment can be life-changing. Today's episode will focus on the various pharmacologic options for Parkinson's treatment and their mechanisms of action and side effects. Throughout this episode, I will be asking lots of questions. I've used this style of studying over the last two years and especially while studying for step one. Life doesn't stop while you're in medical school, and it's so nice to be able to pop an episode on while you're cooking, driving, working out, etc. If you ever need a little pick-me-up, I also highly recommend Rhea's Spoonful of Sugar episode called Step 1 Pep Talk. It completely changed the way I approached Step 1 practice questions. I don't know about you, but pharmacology continues to be a daunting subject for me, and repetition is absolutely key. I'll be making sure to spend some time at the end of this episode doing a rapid review of the drugs that we discuss. During this episode, I encourage you to pause and answer questions along with me. Remember that we're all learning, so please don't get disheartened if you don't answer every question correctly. Let's start by reviewing some basic principles of Parkinson's disease. Can you remember the four cardinal manifestations of Parkinson's disease? The cardinal manifestations of Parkinson's disease can be remembered with the pneumonic trap. T for tremor, R for rigidity, A for akinesia, and P for postural instability. How is the tremor of Parkinson's usually described? The tremor for Parkinson's is usually described as pill rolling. This is a big buzzword used by exam writers, so I would try to keep pill rolling with Parkinson's. How is the rigidity of Parkinson's usually described? The rigidity of Parkinson's is usually described as cogwheel. Cogwheel is a type of rigidity in muscles where they respond kind of like a cogwheel jerk. It gives way in little repeated jerks when the muscle is passively stretched. Again, that's a big buzzword used by exam writers. First aid also uses a mnemonic trap, but includes two S's at the end to include the signs and symptoms, shuffling gait, and small handwriting. What are some non-motor symptoms of Parkinson's disease? Non-motor symptoms of Parkinson's disease include depression, anxiety, cognitive impairment, autonomic dysfunction, and sleep disturbances all of which can greatly impact the patient's quality of life. Can you recall the physiologic changes associated with Parkinson's disease? One change is the accumulation of intracellular aggregates of alpha-synuclein forms of Lewy bodies, but the other major physiological change and the focus of most pharmacologic treatments is the progressive loss of dopaminergic neurons in the substantia nigra pars compacta. 
This results in disrupted communication within the basal ganglia, which is a group of structures responsible for regulating movement. Can you remember which dopaminergic pathway is most affected in Parkinson's disease? In Parkinson's disease, it's the niagarostradal pathway that's most affected. This pathway is crucial to movement regulation, transmitting dopamine from the substantia nigra to the striatum of the basal ganglia. So based on those answers, it would make sense that the major goal of Parkinson's disease pharmacologic therapy is to increase dopamine effect. So you might be thinking, if the goal of treatment is just to increase available dopamine in the central nervous system, Shouldn't it be as simple as just giving people dopamine? Why do we need a whole podcast episode about this? Well, I want to pose that question back to you. Why can't we just administer dopamine to our patients with Parkinson's? Dopamine does not cross the blood-brain barrier. So if we gave dopamine to our patients, it would basically just sit and accumulate in the periphery. So unfortunately, this topic is a bit more challenging. But again, I hope by the end of this episode, you all feel more confident discussing and answering questions about these drugs. Let's get started discussing Parkinson's pharmacology. While dopamine deficiency is a key factor in the development of Parkinson's disease, direct dopamine administration is not an option. So what can we do? So the main ways we can treat Parkinson's is by one, adding dopamine to the system. Two, decreasing dopamine breakdown and three, stimulating dopamine receptors. So for younger patients in the early stages of Parkinson's disease, non-ergot dopamine agonists are the first-line choice. These drugs include pramipexol and ropinerol. Again, that's pramipexol and ropinerol. These are non-ergot dopamine agonists. Dopamine agonists act at the postsynaptic terminal in the striatum to improve symptoms by stimulation of the dopamine receptors. Older patients, however, are usually started on a different first-line drug. And to discuss this, I'm going to first ask you, can you recall the precursor molecule for dopamine? The precursor molecule for dopamine is levodopa, or L-dopa. And unlike dopamine, Levodopa can cross the blood-brain barrier. It can then be converted to dopamine via dopa decarboxylase. Levodopa is the first-line choice for older patients in the early stages of Parkinson's disease. Side effects of levodopa on its own include GI distress, cardiac arrhythmias, and orthostatic hypotension. These side effects are due to the unwanted peripheral conversion of levodopa to dopamine. Levodopa is given in combination with another drug. Can you recall the name and mechanism of action of levodopa's paired drug? Levodopa is given in combination with carbidopa. Carbidopa blocks peripheral conversion of levodopa to dopamine by inhibiting dopa decarboxylase. Unlike L-dopa, carbidopa is unable to cross the blood-brain barrier. The overall result is increased levodopa in the central nervous system available to for central conversion to dopamine. Carbidopa also decreases those unwanted side effects that would occur with high peripheral dopamine. 
Can you think of a relative contraindication to levodopa therapy? Psychosis is a relative contraindication to levodopa therapy. This is because the increased central dopamine may trigger hallucinations, delusions, and paranoia in especially susceptible individuals. With progression of Parkinson's disease, use of levodopa can result in what's called the on-off phenomenon. Can you describe the on-off phenomenon? With progression of Parkinson's disease and longer duration of time on levodopa, the therapy can improve mobility in the on periods, but actually impair mobility in what are called the off periods. During off periods, patients can experience dyskinesias, which can result in choreoathetosis of the face and distal extremities. These changes can occur daily and are often very unpredictable. The therapeutic window of levodopa therapy narrows as Parkinson's progresses. Management of this phenomenon can be challenging, but may include making changes to timing and dosage of levodopa or combining with other medications, which we'll discuss now. So the goal of treatment in more advanced stages of Parkinson's is often to reduce the amount of time the patient spends in the off periods. One class of drugs used in advanced disease stages is catechol-O-methyltransferase inhibitors. That name is way too long. So they're actually referred to as COMT inhibitors. What are the names of the COMT inhibitors? COMT inhibitors include entacapone and tolcapone. Do these drugs act centrally or peripherally? That was kind of a trick question. Tolcapone acts centrally and peripherally, but entacapone only acts peripherally. I like to remember this by thinking if a very tall person, Tolcapone is a tall person with very long arms, so they're long both centrally and peripherally. I know it's kind of weird, but that helps me keep them separate in my brain. So Tolcapone acts centrally and peripherally, and Tacapone only acts peripherally. Okay, so how do COMT inhibitors prolong the effects of levodopa? Entacapone and tolcapone act peripherally to decrease the degradation of levodopa by inhibiting COMT peripherally. Tolcapone can also act centrally to prevent degradation of dopamine by inhibiting COMT in the brain. It's important to note that COMT inhibitors should only be used in combination with levodopa as they function to increase levodopa bioavailability and decrease the off periods. Okay, why don't we always give patients tolcapone, since I just said that tolcapone acts centrally and peripherally? Tolcapone has the unfortunate side effect of hepatic failure, so entacapone is often preferred initial therapy. Another drug class that can be used to prevent breakdown of dopamine is the monoamine oxidase or MAO inhibitors. These include selegiline and rasagiline, which are selective inhibitors of MAOB. Why would we prefer MAOB inhibition rather than MAOA? MAOB is found in the brain more than the periphery, 
Think B for brain. So inhibition leads to increased bioavailability of dopamine in the CNS. Just like the COMT inhibitors, MAOB inhibitors have greatest anti-Parkinson effects when taken with levodopa, as they are helpful in decreasing the off effects. I know this is a lot of information, and we only have a few more drugs to cover. Did you know that one of Parkinson's medications is also an antiviral medication? Can you name that medication? Amantadine is an antiviral medication that also enhances the effects of endogenous dopamine. It does so by increasing synthesis and release of dopamine, while also inhibiting its reuptake by presynaptic nerve terminals. Amantadine is most helpful in reducing the dyskinesias of levodopa therapy. There are also two anti-muscarinic agents used to treat Parkinsonism. Can you name these medications? Benztropine and trihexyphenidyl are anti-muscarinic drugs used to treat the tremor and rigidity of Parkinson's disease, but have little effect on bradykinesia. First Aid uses the mnemonic, try parking my Mercedes-Benz to help remember these drugs. Try for trihexyphenidyl, parking for Parkinsonism, and my Mercedes-Benz for benztropine. Why would we use anti-muscarinics for Parkinson's? Why would that be helpful? So actually, the dopamine deficiency of Parkinson's disrupts the normal balance between the direct and indirect pathways of basal ganglia circuitry, resulting in elevated levels of acetylcholine and contribution to Parkinson's disease motor symptoms. Tremors and rigidity of Parkinson's disease are especially responsive to anti-muscarinics and are often given as adjunctive therapy with the other previously mentioned medications, such as levodopa and dopamine agonists. And that wraps up Parkinson's pharmacology. Let's review by doing some rapid questions about what we just discussed. And remember, it's okay if you don't answer every question correct right now. We're all still learning. So my first question is, can you remember the four cardinal manifestations of Parkinson's disease? The four cardinal manifestations of Parkinson's disease can be remembered with the mnemonic TRAP. T for tremor, remember it's a pill rolling tremor, R for rigidity, this is a cogwheel rigidity, A for echinacea, and P for postural instability. Which dopaminergic pathway is affected in Parkinson's disease? In Parkinson's disease, there is progressive loss of dopaminergic neurons in the substantia nigra pars compacta. The dopaminergic pathway most affected is the nigrostriatal pathway. This pathway is crucial to movement regulation, transmitting dopamine from the substantia nigra to the striatum of the basal ganglia. Young patients with early disease are started on dopamine agonists. Can you name some of these drugs? Dopamine agonists used for young patients with early disease 
are pramipexol and ropinirole. What is the first-line option for older patients with early disease? So for older patients with early disease, the first-line option is levodopa with carbidopa. Recall that levodopa is the precursor to dopamine, which can cross the blood-brain barrier, and carbidopa prevents peripheral conversion of levodopa to dopamine, overall increasing the amount of dopamine in the brain. What is the on-off phenomenon? So basically, the on-off phenomenon describes that with progression of the disease, levodopa can improve mobility in the on periods and impair mobility in off periods. And overall, treatment of advanced disease is focusing on limiting the amount of time spent in the off periods. What are the names of the COMT inhibitors and which act centrally? COMT inhibitors include entacapone and tolcapone. Tolcapone acts centrally. You can remember my weird memory tool of a very tall person with long arms, central and peripheral. How do COMT inhibitors prolong the effects of levodopa? Entacapone and tolcapone act peripherally to decrease the degradation of levodopa by inhibiting COMT peripherally. Tolcapone can also act centrally to prevent degradation of dopamine by inhibiting COMT in the brain. So when working peripherally, it's focusing on limiting the degradation of levodopa. When working centrally, focus is limiting the degradation of dopamine. What is the mechanism of action of selegiline? Selegiline is an MAOB inhibitor, so it decreases central degradation of dopamine. Which antiviral can be used in Parkinson's treatment, and what is its mechanism of action? Amantadine is the antiviral used in Parkinson's treatment. It works by enhancing endogenous dopamine availability by both increasing dopamine release and decreasing dopamine presynaptic reuptake. There are two antimuscarinic agents used to treat Parkinsonism. Can you name these medications? Benztropine and trihexylphenidyl are anti-muscarinic drugs used to treat the tremor and rigidity of Parkinson's disease. But remember, they have very little effect on the bradykinesia. And if you want that mnemonic again, it was try parking my Mercedes-Benz. Try for trihexyphenidyl, parking for Parkinsonism, and my Mercedes-Benz for benztropine. All right, and thank you so much for listening to this episode. I know how difficult it can be to learn pharmacology but I hope that this episode helped you understand Parkinson's drugs just a bit more. 
If you ever want to revisit this topic later in your studying, try quizzing yourself with the rapid review at the end of this episode again. If you found this episode helpful, please subscribe to our podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please visit our website at spoonfulofsugar.org and post them under the links for this episode. Medical school is hard, but you're not alone. Good luck with studying, and remember that if you ever have an SOS moment while studying, Spoonful of Sugar is always here to help the medicine go down.